you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. I want to start today with a poem that many of us have heard. The author is unknown. It reads as follows, circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I've got my cootie shot. Circle, circle, square, square. Now you, you have them everywhere. That's a deep, deep, deep poem, is it not? How many of you, I mean, you're giggling because it's true. Nobody knows who said it. It's been a thing that we've said on the playground for years. It is an obsession that we tend to have, these cooties. What exactly are they? Do I still have them or did I give them? Was I the one who was touched last or was I the one that reached out and extended my hand to give the disease of the cootie to whatever girl on the playground happened to cross my path? I do not know. I think that I'm okay though, so I must not have the cooties. This word cootie is a funny word, but it originated, they believe, like in the trenches of World War I with the filth and the, the, just the muck that was going on and the disease that was spread, making us fixated on this thing called the cooties, which we know are kind of associated with germs, which were discovered between 1850 and the 1900s in Europe and North America. We know now as we are on, we're still getting through a pandemic, we were, we're getting closer, we are getting closer and we have hope and we love gathering together and seeing each other and shaking each other's hands. But we know after the year that we've had, year and a half that we've had, that the concept of contagion has the capacity and the overreaching real tangibleness of affecting our lives. That which is contagious, we want to get away from. The best way to have my wife beside herself is to be around a family where there is a known stomach bug. It doesn't matter how much we love you. It does not matter how close we are. If we are at your house having dinner and it's all going good and we found out two days ago your kid threw up, the dinner is ruined. We won't tell you that, but we'll talk about it in the car when we leave. The stomach bugs, the contagion, even on a more grand scale, which is is traumatic, is the pandemic that we've gone through. And the antibacterial industry makes billions of dollars annually off of our fear of contagion, of germs, which is not necessarily a bad thing as the science reveals the way things are spread. And we do the things as I hear a sneeze in the audience. We do the things that we need to do. She actually raven sneezed into her elbow. And I respect that greatly. Most people don't know that, but you did. So you can still shake my hand after this. (laughs) But we are afraid of that which spreads, that what you have affects the state of who I am. And because of that, we avoid and we protect and we distance ourselves. Today, we are 
talking about some miracles of Jesus, and we're going to focus on one in Luke 5, but I'd like to direct your attention to the miracles window right here, uh, where the man is being lowered through the roof. Uh, I wish that we were preaching on that one today. It's one of my favorite scriptures where friends create space for their friends to get to the feet of Jesus. That'll preach, but we're going to preach a different one today. But as you look at the window, and you allow the miracles of Jesus to speak to you in the art of the place that you are in. I just want to invite us in the moment, like Aaron said, to feel the real presence of Jesus and the closeness of the Spirit of God in this place. So if you would, bow with me, and we will jump into Luke chapter 5. Spirit of God, we acknowledge your presence here in this place. We know that you are real. God, and we know that you're close. God, if our minds are distracted and thinking through the anxieties of the week to come or the week that was, God, as we go over conversations that didn't sit well with us, as we look at outside circumstances in our lives and feel helpless, God, if we're feeling physical pain, God, I pray that we can be present to your spirit in this place as we ask for you to move. From the bottom of our hearts and the depths of our souls, we ask, be with us, God. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is at the beginning, the forefront of his ministry. He has just given the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 8, where the story is also. And the Galilean region has an influx of people from surrounding areas wanting to hear this rural rabbi, the one who speaks with authority, the one who speaks in a way that they haven't seen before. Could this be the voice we've been looking for? 400 years of silence now out of the wilderness proclaimed by this crazy prophet known as John the baptizer. Could this be the one? And the people are intrigued and they are following and they are listening and they are doing everything they can do to get close to get as close to this individual as they can. We look at the window and we see the men who break through the house rooftop to get to Jesus through an aerial approach because the street and the surrounding areas, the windows and the door was so jammed packed and the religious leaders were in town listening and scoping out this new voice that is being heard. And they, to do everything they can to get close to this man preaching go through the top of a house. It is very impressive. It's very creative to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. That is the situation that we have in this text. People competing to get close to Jesus. Now, in verse 12 of Luke 5, there's a commotion that happens. Let's see a scene in your minds where Jesus is walking and he has his friends and his close followers with him, but there's a mob of people competing to get close, trying and straining to listen to what Jesus might be saying, doing what they can to posture and position themselves to get to nearness of this rabbi. But then from the back of the crowd, you hear some shrieks and some squills, and you don't know exactly what's happening. You just see people parting like the Red Sea. Those who are near Jesus, their eyes widen as they realize the reality of the situation. And there's a man, it says, full of leprosy, who is running in a hobbled way to get to Jesus. 
Now, in the first century, the word leprosy is a catch-all. They don't actually have it broken down uh, exactly what this means, but it could be ringworm, it could be psoriasis, it could be other ailments of the skin, maybe poison ivy for a moment, which I don't think is native to that area, but you know what I'm saying. Anything that is visible on your skin is looked at by a priest or a rabbi, and then they look at that person and they judge whether they are clean or unclean. In Leviticus chapter 13, there are 59 verses dedicated to people who are facing the ailments of leprosy. 59 verses. Here are a few of the things that they would do. They would go to the priest or the rabbi, and they'd be pronounced unclean. And because of that, they were to go outside of the city. If they refused to leave the city, they were given permission, the authorities gave permission to soldiers or to the religious elite to give them 39 lashes, the most that anybody can give under the law. That's how severe it was if they did not leave. They had to leave their occupations. They had to leave their families, whether they had a spouse or children. They had to go to the outskirts of the city. They had to tear their clothes as another marker, just in case you didn't see the blemishes on the skin, and they had to dishevel their hair. Typically, what would happen is their hair would lock up, not in a cool way like our friend Kendall over here, but in a dirty way, a way that that marked their identity as those who are outside, outcast, removed, other. And when people came into the city and they happened to get close enough, they were required by law to put their right hand over their upper lip and yell, unclean. The obligation to inform people that they were not worthy to be touched or near was theirs. And they were to inform people that they were unclean. They'd yell it in a humiliating way. And if they happened to get too close, which there's a a few views of how close that was, it could be anywhere from six feet to 100 feet, depending on the way the wind was blowing. And if somebody who was clean deemed the person unclean who was coming near to them, they were allowed under law again to throw rocks at this person to keep them away. So you see the severity of the situation that is happening as this man, not just a little leprosy, not a ringworm on the cheek, not just one of those, but covered in this disease, which might be Hansen's disease, which is basically the attack of the nervous system to where you cannot feel the pain. So any cut or nick is now unidentified, it gets infected, and then infection spreads through the body. This man has been there for years as an outcast, his clothes most likely falling off as he desperately limps his way to this rabbi, to Jesus. People are disgusted as they part. Some pick up rocks in preparation. This man who has dared to break and defy the rules and put everybody else in danger. He sees Jesus as the circle around Jesus disperses. Those who were close to Jesus listening to him, Jesus doesn't move, but as the man gets closer, those who were close to Jesus move. They leave. All right, Jesus is great, but not great enough to risk myself being considered unclean and exposed. And so they scatter, and there's a circle that forms around this man as he falls to his face, his bloody face in the presence of this rabbi. You know, the thoughts and the whispers and the crowd 
are shock, awe, disgust, contempt, but also wonder, what is this rabbi going to say? He hasn't moved. If he doesn't move, then he risks being unclean. If he is unclean, he can't be the Messiah. What is he doing? And the man groveled on the ground with his face in the dirt, dirty, smelly, bloody, a mess. He says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not, Lord, if you are able. This man has faith that the person who can heal him is the one whose feet he is at. But the question is, Lord, if you were willing. That's kind of hard for us today to ask that question, isn't it? I mean, we sing the songs about the victory of Jesus, about how the grace of God has come into our lives, and now we are able, we are victorious, we have won the battle because of Jesus. We have all these things, the miracles come into our lives, but when we look at it and we take a step back, how many of us actually approach Jesus the way that this man has? In pure desperation, I'm sure you can think to a time in your life where you were broken and alone, maybe on the floor of your bedroom, crying out to God, help me. Help me if you are willing. Help me. I cannot do this. Help me. I feel like everyone has left me. Jesus, if you are willing. And we look at these miracles that we read about as men who are paralyzed or raising from their mats, as those who cannot see are given the gift of sight, those who cannot hear, ears are opened for the very first time, and those who have been outcasted because of their skin are no longer outcast or marginalized, but invited in. And we see that. And we think, yeah, that's a, I love that scripture. That's a good story, but that's not now. That's not real life. Well, you're in luck today. We're going to have a healing service. I know that's not normally our, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. You can take a breath. But when we approach Jesus, typically we feel like there's this dignity that we hold on to that prevents us from asking these big audacious things. Just to be real with you, there, there's a, a, a period in my life where I stopped praying prayers of intercession, which means petitioning God to do something. I decided as I over-spiritualized and overthought, which I tend to do, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to listen to God, which is awesome. Let's do that. But I got in this place where I overanalyzed so much this God that I stopped basically having this faith or this grounded rootedness in the fact that God is a God who does miracles in our lives. To where I removed myself as I intellectualized and criticized and deconstructed, I removed myself from the power of asking God for the things that I feel like I have a need for. As if God doesn't have the ability to say yes or no. As if you're going to ask him to help you move on a Saturday and he says yes, but then behind your back says, can you believe that guy asked me to move on a Saturday? God has boundaries and God can say no. 
I can't project our humanness on God. But with that, realizing that when we have these things in these areas in our life, maybe it is something uh, marginal or small that we feel, or maybe it is something grand and huge and looming over our heads like a dark cloud. Whatever it is, we see that God is able, and we're going to see in this text, that God is willing. We just have to ask. In Matthew 7, the text goes, those who ask are given, those who knock the doors answered. And the actual words in Greek are participles, meaning there's an I-N-G at the end, which is a continual thing. So asking, seeking, knocking. I have some friends back in Texas who were interested in buying a lot and it wasn't for sale, but they figured out who the owner was in a very, I guess, creepy way of figuring out how you do that. And they, instead of phone call or anything, decided to go in person to ask if the lot was available to buy. Well, this person had a ring doorbell and as they sat at the door, my friend with his low ball cap and his wife knocking and ringing the doorbell, they sat there for a total of four minutes and 26 seconds. How do I know the time? Because the woman who they were knocking on her door was so creeped out by these people that she posted the video from her ring on Facebook asking if anybody knows who these individuals are because they were at her door and she thought they were trying to rob her. Well, the guy, my friend, was a pastor at the church that I was working at, and I don't think that was his intention, but I don't know. I haven't seen him in a little while. But it's this, like, this, this knocking this waiting, this insistence for this person, and God probably would have answered the door by them because he wouldn't be scared of being robbed, but this lady was so afraid that they stood there for four minutes and 26 seconds. That's like an entire Taylor Swift song sitting there. Think about that. Put that into perspective, just knocking like, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. You know, like the whole thing, all of it. I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, just for candor. Uh, That's not relevant at all. I just felt like y'all needed to know that. But we find that Jesus is able. And as this man asks him if he is willing, Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus reaches his hand out and there's an audible gasp in the crowd. And he touches this man. He touches this man intentionally, not even subversive, but overtly reaches his hand out, grasping this man, I believe, on the shoulder or the side of the arm. or Maybe he grabs him by his deteriorating face and looks at him in the eyes and sees him and says, I am willing be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. So Jesus, this rabbi, this Messiah, this person who is gaining some prominence, has done the unthinkable. 
that which would disqualify him from the position that is being prescribed to him. He reaches out across the line into the margins and reaches out to the person he is not supposed to be reaching out to. He's supposed to be impressing these people over here, not spending time with this person over here. But he touches this person and the person's skin and his digits on his hands and his nose and his ears and his eyes are cleared and he is suddenly healed. And Jesus reveals that day that he is able and that he is willing and that he is more contagious than whatever you've got. For when the greedy person goes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't become greedy. Instead, his generosity overflows from his being into the greedy person. That greedy person all of a sudden becomes generous. When the slanderer and gossip goes to Jesus to share and spread the secrets of what they have heard, Jesus doesn't go on in a gossipy game of telephone telling the next person. Instead, humility and empathy enters the person through the overflowing ability for Jesus to see other perspectives and positions that people are as they lie in the dirt. The angry person doesn't infuriate Jesus with their anger, spreading the outrage and the polarization of their opinion and their ideology. Jesus doesn't get persuaded by their camp or their argument or by their position or by their word or by their hot topic or by the thing that they feel like is life and death. Instead, that person's heart softens as they realize there's more to the story and that their ears need to open just as Jesus sees the paralyzed man at his feet, as he sees the leper in front of him in the dirt, as he sees the woman who touches his cloak, as he sees those who can't see him, as he speaks to those who don't have ears to hear. Jesus is more contagious than whatever you have. The addict who goes to Jesus doesn't get Jesus hooked on whatever they have. Instead, Jesus, in his essence, overflows into that person and replaces and sustains that which used to be a crutch of addiction. Jesus is more contagious than whatever we have. And as he crosses out into that line and the people gasp and they see this amazing thing of this man being clean, Jesus touches this man and there's a power and life-giving nature of physical touch, which Michelangelo says, to touch is to give life. And as we as a society realize through this pandemic that without touch, we have this, this missingness in our lives that we realize we didn't know was that important. As you think of a child and a baby of a newborn mother, how they place that child's bare skin on the bare skin of the mother to connect with her and for the bacteria of the mother to colonize the child, which, yes, I have four kids. Now I have three and one on the way. It's a baby boy, in case y'all didn't know. Four of them. We have a suburban we just bought. We're doing the whole thing. It's... So we know a little bit about skin to skin. Even myself, I'll throw some skin to skin on there too as I'm in the hospital. But there's a power in this connectivity of this touch. 
Whereas as a depraved people, we see in societies, things that are created to create us and them. Therefore, we create a distance or a chasm in between ourselves or those we consider insiders or good and those we consider outsiders and bad. And what happens with this distance is you lose the ability to touch to humanize, to give life to, and therefore you create this hostility and this hatred because we're just frankly not listening to each other anymore. And Jesus shows us that there is a better way as he reaches out and he touches and gives life. Jesus goes on to tell this man, don't tell anybody but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing, Leviticus 13 again, as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely spaces. I believe that this man got up with tears streaming down his face as people are amazed and maybe a little hesitant to get close, but a few of the courageous people followed him to see what he was going to do. And he goes to this rabbi and priest, maybe the same one that pronounced him unclean in the first place, to look at what the miracle of an encounter with Jesus can do, making that which is unclean clean, that which is excluded included. That which isn't seen, seen. That which isn't heard, heard. That which isn't touched, touched. And then this man goes home to his family because he was willing to do that which he was not supposed to do just to get to the feet of Jesus. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna engage in a prayer practice where you are, whatever you're going through. And I just invite us in this moment to put ourselves in the dirt for a moment. Maybe remembering or recalling or making present a reality that there are things that we need a miracle. That feeling, that anxiety, that heartbreak, physical pain, emotional pain, trauma, past and present. Bring that to the forefront of your mind as you close your eyes and as we're in this crowd of people. We're in the dirt on our knees, and we're at a place where we're not holding on to our dignity anymore, because we, frankly, are tired. That white knuckle grip on your situation, feel your hands loosening that hold. Pay attention to your chest and the tightness that might be there and take a deep breath in and exhale and know the person's feet you were kneeling at. 
as you recall a time, maybe in particular, where you were so upset that maybe a friend or a family member reached out and embraced you, recall that warmth. Allowing yourself to be seen. Knowing that whatever you brought into this place will not infect those around you, will not infect Jesus, but instead there is healing, real, tangible healing. Because if we don't have that, what do we have? Spend some time here for a moment. When the band's ready, they'll sing some words. Pray that you stay present in whatever that is that you're feeling, listening, allowing your bodies to speak the things of God. Jesus, be with us in this moment. And God, you alone know what is in the hearts of those of us sitting in this room. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.